Agua Caliente Resort and Casino, a forerunner to the Pleasure Palaces on the Las Vegas Strip, Agua Caliente was a sumptuous and stupendous recreational and gaming resort opened in Tijuana in 1928, patronized by kings and queens, movie stars and moguls, maharajas and diplomats, millionaires and social elites, as well as less prominent, but still moneyed, ordinary people anxious to see and be seen. U.S. prohibition, along with other social reforms generated by the progressive movement at the early part of the last century, caused sporting folks to look south of the border for new outlets. Tijuana, governed by a renegade revolutionary general anxious to make deals for a price, beckoned and moneyed investors, both American and Mexican, responded. Together, they built a mishmash, some would say a delectable fair, of dingy bars, exquisite nightclubs, gaming joints, whorehouses, opium dens, elaborate casinos, fine and not so fine, restaurants, and body beer halls along the town's main street. In sum, they created a veritable never-never land of pleasure. And that's when all the tourists from all stripes came in. Hucksters, flimflammers, prostitutes, gamblers, rogues, and racketeers, along with respectable citizens, out for a slum, and the occasional civic or political leader gone astray, swarmed into the business zone in search of fulfillment, fun, and quick profit. Then, in 1926, three wealthy Americans already known and experienced in sports entertainment and gambling teamed with the district's governor to form a syndicate that would finance and build a spectacular recreational gaming complex to rival, even surpass, Europe's best at Monte Carlo and DeVille. This is Monstras. everyone welcome to our next episode of monstras episode seven uh where we're talking about la bailarina sin cabeza which for those who don't speak spanish it's uh that translates to the ballerina without a head today you know my name is brenda i'm ho i'm your host and then we have a second host who is my name is orchidia i'm your second host <laughs> <laughs> all right well maybe not like in scale all right no, like no. Or a hierarchy i get it i get how it is <laughs> it's not even co-host it's second host <laughs> listen that part i just was making it up anyways as we go sure on. <laughs> sure well before we get started i did want to say um some folks might have noticed that we're switching from two months two times a month to one time a month released and that's because we've both been swamped and tired and swamped. 
<laughs> Mostly swamped. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. do have day jobs. And you're actually writing a book or doing some other crazy stuff, right? Yeah, yeah I'm trying to get a job. Which takes a lot of time. That's a full-time job. So, <laughs> they don't tell you that. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It is a lot of work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're cutting down to once a month for now at least until uh, we kind of dig ourselves out of a, a work hole, I guess you can say. Because I'm also trying to switch careers and trying to look into like what I can do and blah, blah, blah. So it's it's an adventure. Yeah. We're working women. That's what that is. <laughs> we got to support ourselves, yeah. damn it. You yeah. know, I ain't got no man. I ain't got no sugar daddy. <laughs> What's that song? It's like, it is like women doing it for themselves or something. It's like from the 80s. I don't is know. it the working woman song? Yeah, but it's not the 9 to 5. It's another one. Oh, okay. I was thinking about the 9 to 5. No, no. It's another one. But that's okay. us. And that's why we need more time. So we're doing once a month. Yeah, once a month, but we still are um, going to be doing this podcast for sure. It's just going to be a little bit less frequent. Um, but in the future, we're really, really hoping that we're going to ramp it up to twice a month again. So yeah. no worries. Stay tuned. I think this will be just a temporary thing for sure. Yeah, there's plenty of monsters for us to talk about. So, Oh, my God. So many. Yeah. So many. Uh, so what are we focusing on again today? Uh, so today... We are talking about a legend from Tijuana, Baja California, and it's La Bailarina Sin Cabeza, like you said, or the Headless Dancer, the Headless Ballerina. Yeah, Headless Ballerina. Every time I say Headless, I want to say Horseman. So it's really What? Headless Horseman? Oh, I thought you meant just like, I don't know what you meant. I was very confused. (laughs) I was like, what? Um, but I kind of brought up this topic, like I was the one who suggested it in the first place, um, mostly because I heard from it, uh, about La Bailarina Sin Cabeza. I had never heard of it until I was talking to a friend at a bar, um, and she loves podcasts and she listens to podcasts and I was talking about our podcast and she was like, oh, you know, have you ever heard of the, about this legend? You know, she grew up in TJ or thereabouts and she told me that. There was this ballerina that supposedly got her head cut off that people see all the time. Um, And so I was fascinated by this very, very cool ghost story. And especially about, you know, a region that we haven't yet kind of explored or touched on, which is Tijuana. Yeah. I'd never heard about this one. Like, I've heard a few stories of, um, like, the Dancing with the Devil one. And I think we're going to do an episode on that one later on. But I hadn't heard this one. So it was really cool that you brought it up. And it was cool to learn more about it. I think the thing that really fascinated me more about this story wasn't even like the bailarina herself. Because in digging up, there's, spoiler alert, to this episode, I guess. Um, (laughs) I won't reveal too much. But um, essentially, the bigger story really is actually the story of Tijuana and the story of Agua Caliente. Really is what drew me more to to the story or what fascinated me the most about this particular topic you know have you been to Tijuana no okay I have not I, I have either. not been t- <laughs> I haven't been so Tijuana has a reputation right you know so that's why I've never really been drawn to Tijuana because Tijuana has this reputation of like I had a friend who uh supposedly he's such a liar 
Um, so supposedly he he did this, but um, I can I can probably corroborate it with actually another friend of mine, uh, who isn't a liar, but he supposedly uh, fell asleep in a van with his friends and his friend and he woke up in Tijuana mm-hmm. because his friends decided last minute, oh let's go to Tijuana, let's go to TJ. And then he ended up getting his wallet stolen from a prostitute and the prostitute like tried to give him a beach. It was just, it's a banana story that I think is made up. But yeah. it, it, it centers around the fact that Tijuana is this kind of area of vice, right? Yeah. And that was one of the fun, fun things in doing research too. And one of the things that we were, that we wanted to start off with, right? Like the history of Tijuana and how Tijuana becomes this place that's uh, associated with vice and all things bad but fun. <laughs> all the bad, fun things. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, um, that's one of the stereotypical images of the border, like broadly, too. This idea that it's a paradise for tourists and particularly male tourists where they can go and buy whatever they want and use whatever they want and then go back home to the U.S. and everything's fine. Um, yeah, especially in the early 1900s during prohibition, Californians found their way across the border into Tijuana, where they could have access to alcohol, gambling and women. So that's where they would have their fun when they couldn't get alcohol in the US. My God. But did you do the same? I mean, would I travel that far for alcohol? I feel like that's a lot of time. <laughs> It's a lot of time and a lot of effort, especially in the 1900s. You really had to want to go down and party to actually, you know, want to take the time to be, you know. They had cars at that point, but they were a lot of them were the little cranky cars. A lot of them didn't have access to cars. People Cars was still a luxury for most people, right? Yeah. I guess so, alcohol, you know, it's hard to give up. I guess so. I mean, and then you combine it with gambling and women. It's like, okay, fine. Yeah. I guess I'll go. <laughs> You're twisting my arm. You're twisting my arm. I'll go, I guess. <laughs> so it was, um, the Prohibition Act was called the Volstead Act, and it went into effect 1920 to 1933, which is pretty long time. I'm impressed by it. I'm quite impressed by it. Yeah, I'm surprised folks didn't revolt sooner. Yeah, I mean, they kind of did. It was funny because it was a, a, a historian, I think, or, or it was either a historian or a cop. I don't remember. But it was like this dude who, who went around the cities, uh, different cities in America during this era. And he would try to see how fast he could get access to alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he said the fastest was in New Orleans, when he got into a taxi and he, and he asked the taxi cab, he's like, how, you know, uh, where can I get alcohol? And the taxi cab driver was like, right here. And he bust out <laughs> a flask. <laughs> damn. That's really good service. Right? Yeah. For a taxi? Yeah. I'm like, damn. Maybe that's what they should be doing. That'll beat them, you know, beat their competition Uber and Lyft if they start serving alcohol again. <laughs> but then you get into this whole, you know, drinking and driving issue. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I guess. Fine. Whatever. <laughs> But I found the wording that they used really interesting, too, so I included a chunk of it. So, like, the Prohibition Act is an act to prohibit intoxicating beverages and to regulate the manufacture, production, use, and sale of high-proof spirits for other-than-beverage purposes 
and to ensure an ample supply of alcohol to promote its use in scientific research and in the development of fuel and other lawful industries, which is really fascinating. Like, they're like, don't drink alcohol, but we need it. (laughs) But we still need it, so we still gotta actually keep it around and stuff. That is so weird. I mean, that makes sense, though. You do still need it for, for like, disinfectant and that sort of thing. So you don't want to outlaw it completely. Um, but I bet you people were still drinking that shit. That's what I was about to say. I mean, I've watched enough intervention to know that you can drink that. Which is really bad for you. Rubbing alcohol and stuff? Oh, God. I can only imagine how desperate you really have to be to actually start drinking rubbing alcohol. Yeah. Terrible. Oh. That's a tangent right there <laughs> <laughs> i can go i have stopped myself or i'm trying i'm like controlling myself in my tangents because i could have gone on another tangent about a mess a meth head drinking piss talking about like desperate for alcohol and, and and drug addiction i was i was about to go there and then i i kind of put a kibosh on it you know yeah. i was like no brenda control yourself control yourself and then i made you do it anyway <laughs> Yeah, you did. <laughs> so you only have yourself to blame. No one else. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> but we were talking about, um, like, the negative representation of Tijuana and the U.S.-Mexico border. And for me, one of the interesting things is how film has played a role in that, too. And so a lot of, like, the negative images that we see about the border uh, <clears throat> have been perpetuated in, in films. Um and there's this history of the Black Legend. Have you heard of the Black Legend? No, that sounds really interesting. Okay, so it was this idea that um, um, Bartolomé Las Casas wrote about all the bad stuff that the Spanish did during the conquest. And the Black Legend came to represent the Spanish. They were like, you know, they're a bunch of assholes that killed a lot of people in really horrible ways. Yeah, that so, makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. The English and Americans would see the Spaniards as, you know, the bad Europeans, hence the black legend. But then that got conflated with Mexico. right? So it wasn't just the Spaniards, but it was Spaniards. And then what turned into Mexico. So Mexico was also this place of like savagery and vice and um, from very, very early on. And that got picked up in films. Oh, that's interesting. I did not know that. And so by extension, it sounds like, did it, did this black legend actually like leak out of Mexico and and into the Americas as well or no? Yeah. So. Or the North Americas? Yeah. Like they, it was, it was like the U.S. uh, representation of Mexico. Right. So Mexico didn't Uh... see itself that way, but the U.S. was like, Mexico is this bad place. It's this dirty place or it's this place where, you know, bad things happen. And like early on in film history, they would record um, racetracks and gambling in Mexico and release that in the U.S. Oh, well, one of the things that I did notice um, in the research about this time period was that they would put signs, the prohibition people, the progressives, you know, air quotes, would put signs on the way to Mexico saying place of sin, don't go here. This is a bad place. And I'm sure people would just laugh at the signs and be like, that's where we're going. 
<laughs> it was free advertisement for them. <laughs> it was free advertisement. So, and that gets us to that to one of those places that's hellish and horrible, and we should never have gone. Um, yeah, the Casino Al Caliente, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Which honestly, it makes me just want to go even more. It sounded awesome. <laughs> it sounded so cool. So. I was fascinated. This is a portion that I was absolutely fascinated with. So obviously during the prohibition era, people still got alcohol, still got wasted, still got drunk. But one of the ways they did it is actually by going across the border to Tijuana. And in Tijuana, specifically, there was a casino built called Agua Caliente. So in order for me to actually discuss the Bailarina Sin Cabeza, we kind of have to start with a little bit of a history of where that play or where that legend actually originates from which is this casino, beautiful, beautiful place called Agua Caliente. So obviously the mafia was not the only thing that prohibition gave rise to in the 1920s. And as Orquidia mentioned, you know, people fled to more alcoholic rich fields across the border. And it gave rise to this new Mecca for Americans looking for a good time. So, you know, people want a place to drink, party, gamble, and... It was actually really close, so it was really accessible for a lot of people being at the border, right? Agua Caliente was this casino, and it wasn't just this casino. It was this huge, sprawling, kind of um, all-inclusive resort uh, place where you could gamble, drink, dance, do all sorts of crazy things. And we'll go into detail of what it is, but or what was there. It was initially designed by Wayne McAllister and his wife, Corrine, or Corrine? Corrine. Kareen, I think, who later, uh, he later on went on to design breweries in San Diego and some Marriott hotels in the Washington, D.C. area. And he was only 18 at the time, which is insane. And Fernando I. Rodriguez, the son of the governor of Baja California, General Abelardo, Abelardo Rodriguez, and future Mexican president, did the construction, which took 10 months to finish. And it was completed by 1928. So July 1928 is when they finished it. That's crazy fast. It's really fast. Ten months to do it. So the hotel, casino, and cafe complex was kind of a mishmash of different architectural styles. So the outside was like this beautiful California Mission Revival style that you see a lot in California. It was big at that time. And inside the, and then you w would walk into the hotel or the casino and inside it was all art deco, which is what the architectural kind of style was also at the time. Uh, huge art deco. And I actually, it's one of the architectural features that I actually love. Art like deco. I love art deco. Me too. I like art deco. Yeah, it's so cool looking. It, I like it. It's like sharp and stabby, but also so yes. elegant and beautiful and like delicate. There's yeah. a lot there. Yeah. Yeah. It's completely different from the minimalism or weird ass. Like it's it's the complete opposite of minimalism because it's about like shoving as many stylistic elements into like one little place. And you see that in the pictures of Agua Caliente where it's just like these these ceilings just completely decorated in beautiful uh, reliefs. So it's really nice. Anyway, so the premises included a bathing resort that used an existing hot spring, hence the name Hot Water, because the Spanish were so creative with their fucking names. They even had an elaborate, and this is what got me, they had an elaborate garden on site, 
complete with plants from different parts of the world, and they even imported exotic birds to the location so that it would complete the look. I feel bad they for were, the birds. I feel bad for the birds, too, because what happened to them, you know, afterwards? Like, oh, my God. Anyways, and because I love food, in an interview in the documentary that I watched, it's on YouTube. You can watch it also, uh, audience. It's called Agua Caliente, La Leyenda, La Controversia y La Realidad, um, which is, uh, you know, the legend, the controversy, and the reality of Agua Caliente. Some of the workers there said that the, the food was served on gold plates if you were a celebrity and that the food itself was very 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 good everyone wanted to work there i want to stay said there also i want to stay there i really do i want a fucking gold plate of food and, and it, sounds, <laughs> it sounds like beautifully tacky and overdone which i imagine most casinos are but yes. it also sounds i don't know it sounds fascinating i wish i could have seen it I wish I could have seen it in person, honestly. It, it would have been sound. It sounded so cool. Yeah. Like one of the descriptions was what the interior decorations included Louis XV style furniture to, like you said, Art Deco, uh, had pente- painted Spanish tiles, Middle Eastern urns and carpets. They have Jeez. an Olympic sized swimming pool. I want that. Mud baths. I want it. Yeah. Oh, I want it. I want it. And it was just across the border. Like, it was really close. Like, I would have I would have actually gone for that. Not the alcohol, not the gambling. I just wanted to go for the resort. You know? Yeah. Because if there's something I like, it's to treat myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then some other famous features of the resort included... So they had multiple different types of rooms in the casino. I guess in the casino. Uh, they had, like, a bronze room, but they had this gorgeous room called the gold room where you could gamble with gold chips. Like, the chips were made of gold, and the minimum to pay was $500, which at the time was an immense amount of money. Yeah, that's crazy money. Later, the place became so popular that they added an airstrip from which uh, famous Hollywood celebrities would use to fly in, you know, to get to their debauchery faster. Obviously, you had to get there quick. A racetrack was also added in 1929, and... The cost in today's money was $2.5 million, how much it cost. But it was making, like, 10 a year. Shit. It was making bank. Also, a few celebrity sightings, non-ghost ones, obviously. These were people who were alive at the time. Um, <laughs> actress Rita Hayworth was discovered at an act at the resort. So she actually been... She was discovered at Agua Caliente, which is crazy. Uh, Bugsy... Siegel, who was a famous uh, mafioso, said that... Oh, was he a mafioso? No, he was a... I don't know who that is. He, I think he was a mafia guy. I think he was either a mafia guy or um, just a... He's just a famous criminal, okay. I guess you could say. Okay. And so he said the resort actually inspired him to build his own... Which was Las Vegas. Um, so it gave... He actually gave rise to the Las Vegas Strip and was in part inspired by Agua Caliente, which is crazy! You know, Agua Caliente was the Las Vegas before Las Vegas. So cool. So next time you're in Vegas, you can thank Mexico. (laughs) As you gamble your money away. As you gamble your money away. And um, yeah. (laughs) And then celebrities like Clark Gable visited. 
Um, a phone operator that was interviewed in the documentary that I mentioned earlier, Agua Caliente, La Leyenda, La Controversia y La Re Realidad, recalls how handsome Al Capone was when he visited. So she was like, oh, you know, I was really young back then. And so, <laughs> and so, and so she was like, oh, I'll take him. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll take him. And so she was, uh, I guess she held his hat or something. She noticed that he was surrounded completely by bodyguards. She says that he was really polite, but that the police were scared of him and that he kindly gave her a $50 tip. Wow. That's a pretty good tip. She was like, oh, I thought it was going to be like 20 bucks or 25, you know, 50 bucks, which again, a lot of money back then. Maybe that's what made so him then... so handsome. <laughs> the money? Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure that that helped because looking at photos of Al Capone, I was like, he's not handsome. Yeah, exactly. He's not. Maybe the standards were different in 1920. I don't know. It was weird. And also because I love murder and true crime, the same for phone operator, which I should just give her, give everyone her name. Her name was uh, Elena de, de La Paz de Barron, told the story of this man who came down from San Diego. He would consistently come down and lose money. But the times he won, he would actually like party, drink. He would go a little crazy uh, with his celebration and probably blow all his money, all his winnings on celebrating. Well, one night he came down to the casino and he ended up gambling all of his money away, like all of it, like penniless man now. So he went to the back where the train tracks were located and he shot himself in the head. Yep. Yeah. Gambling's dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I think no I think guns are dangerous that's, I think that's what I heard oh you're right guns are dangerous I thought he was going to kill himself when she was telling that story I thought he was going to jump in front of the train yeah that would make more sense but that but I guess he wanted to get there quicker I yeah. guess the train wasn't getting there faster fast enough for him yeah maybe I, I don't know so then why did Agua Caliente end so it was closed in 1935 and in 1938, it was reopened as an all-boys school. And what kills me, what absolutely kills me as someone who used to work in a historic home, is that the place was scavenged. And so everything, everything was lost and robbed. So all those features, all those architectural features, all the Louis, Louis XV -like style of furniture, all that stuff was just taken and, and, and lost completely. We will never know what it all looked like in its full glory which is so sad i would have that in my house though <laughs> i think that's what people ended up doing is just putting their, that shit in their house well that's what i'm saying like if my great-grandfather or whatever had stolen that shit i wouldn't give it back <laughs> i would if they were trying to re put together the place back together because one of the historic homes that i used to work at what ended up happening, the same thing happened. They auctioned off all the, all the, the last heir of the house died. Um, and then he ended up giving everything to the Shriners Hospital and they auctioned off everything. And so years later, people who had bought those pieces or people who had gotten some of those pieces came back together and actually handed back the things when they were trying to open it at, at a, as a historic home. But if there, no one's opening a historic home, I'm not giving back the fucking furniture. Hell no. Yeah. <laughs> There's no point, you know, because it's just going to be used and abused by someone else. So might as well, I should use and abuse it. 
<laughs> you know? <laughs> so, anyways, the reason for the closure was that Mexican President uh, Lazaro Cardenas outlawed casinos. People at the time were not happy because Agua Caliente was bringing in so much money. So it wasn't that... I thought initially that Agua Caliente ended up like bankrupting itself or something catastrophic like financially happened. No, it was making good, good money up until the casinos were outlawed in Mexico. And people were so upset that they rioted because Agua Caliente was such a um, economic powerhouse for a lot of people in, that, in Tijuana. So many people lost their jobs and people were killed actually during these riots. So I know there's a lot of, <clears throat> there's a lot of, um, uh, where are these ghosts? You know, I was where about are the to people? Say, from... These are a lot of deaths already. <laughs> lot and of... We haven't even gotten to the ballerina. So <laughs> I know. So there's a lot of, uh, yeah, it took a lot of lives. Um, interestingly enough, uh, in the very, very short time it actually existed. Cause I, th- I think that's not, what is that? Less than 10 years. That's 10 years. Yeah. No, less than 10 years. A little bit under 10 years. Which is sad, yeah. if you think about it. Ugh, I wish I'd gone. I read an article that they were trying to bring it back in the early 2000s. They were trying to rebuild some sort oh, of, um, like, spa or, you know, retreat sort of space mm. inspired by this. But I'm not sure if that ever came together. And I'm sure it'll never be the same, too. No, I mean, you had, like, celebrities that went there. You had freaking mafiosos that went there like it's just you're not going to be able to rebuild something like that at least not to its former glory days yeah it just sucks that one political action destroyed it essentially well and it's like it's like casinos aren't even that bad why don't you just outlaw guns like come on casinos are not that bad i've never been to a casino so i can't have an opinion Really? Yeah. Oh my god, I've been to Vegas so many times. I I like gambling, but I don't gamble big money. Do you do like, like penny slots and stuff like that? Oh hell yeah, I do the penny slots. It's free alcohol, man. It's free alcohol for pennies. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not fast service cuz you're not you're not a priority cuz you're just spending, you know, 20 bucks at most. But one time I actually went to the God, in Las Vegas, it wasn't the win. I think it might have been the win, actually. It was just uh, opened at the time. And I went in there, and it was pretty empty. So I went to the penny slot machines, and I was playing a little bit. And then someone was like, oh, you know, you can play this game at the front. And I was like, cool. So you would spin the wheel. Mm -hmm. And it was this giant wheel. And so I was like, cool, cool, I'm going to spin it. And I spun it. And it landed on the biggest prize, which was 250 credits. To play at the at the um, at the um, slot machines, and mm-hmm. so I took those two hundred fifty credits and just used it and won. I won like forty dollars, you know. But it's it's not a lot. But it was forty that I didn't have to like. I didn't spend any money. Yeah, though. you didn't spend any money to make money. Yeah, so I was like, sweet. So that was my uh, jackpot Las <laughs> Vegas <laughs> experience. That sounds like fun, though. <laughs> It is fun. Like, I, I would go more for the shows. I went to see, like, Cirque Soleil. Um, we stayed in uh, down at the f- downtown Fremont area because I had I was with a startup um, funded by Tony Shea, who was uh, the Zappos guy. Okay. He, he created Zappos. 
And so he had like a block of apartments. And so we just stayed in one of the apartments. And so me and my roommate had our own bedroom, our own bath. It was a fully stocked kitchen. Like it was crazy. So we stayed in Las Vegas for a week, which I do not recommend. It sounds awesome. Why wouldn't you recommend it? It's boring. Um, Las Vegas is actually boring after a while. If you're not really into casinos, it gets really, really tedious. And so we were kind of bored after like the fourth day. And I was like, Oof, we are here for three more days or so. And I'm already bored out of my mind. So it's, it's, uh, you take it in chunks. Okay. So go yeah, for a small weekend bites. and spend all your yeah. money. Yeah, exactly. So good for a weekend. It's most, most popular on Friday and Saturday. Yeah. I have to go. Yeah, I'd say go. Especially for us West Coasters, we don't have, there's a White Castle there. Okay. There's a big old White Castle. And so you just get, like, you get kind of drunk. Like, I like getting tipsy and just eating a bunch of them. (laughs) Those baby burgers. They're baby burgers. They're so cute. (laughs) And I love them. So cute. So I eat a bunch of them. (laughs) Good to know. So now let's move on yes. <laughs> to ghosts? the actual ghosts. <laughs> we haven't talked, we haven't, I mean, I guess we have, but we haven't really talked what? about the ghosts we're here to talk about. Yeah, exactly. We've talked, we've kind of laid the groundwork for what Agua Caliente was and all the people who died there, actually. There's been a lot of people. I'm surprised Al Capone isn't one of the ghosts that is like roaming around because he seems to roam around everywhere he went you know maybe it's like i don't know i was trying to come up with something funny and it didn't happen (laughs) yeah al capone something about al capone's vault yeah no he didn't have a vault at agua caliente so unfortunately that's not where where he would probably go anyways but there might be a treasure there right oh that's right there might be there might be get into it oh good transition good transition (laughs) (laughs) so um tell us a little bit about the story that about the ballerina the headless dancer the headless dancer so there are um, after some digging we did find several different versions of the ballerina sin cabeza and obviously most originate from the Agua Caliente area. So the first story is there was this young dancer at the casino. She fell in love with a young man that was prohibited from coming into the casino after he was caught cheating. Already stand-up guy, right? So, however, he convinced the young ballerina to steal from the rich patrons. On the night they were supposed to meet so she could give him the jewels and money, she sees him with another woman. Because not only is he cheating at the casino, he's cheating also with other women. Cheater, cheater. And so then the angry young ballerina hides the treasure and confronts the young man. I don't blame her. After a fight, he pulls out a knife and then decapitates her. That night, the patrons of the Casino Agua Caliente claim to have seen the ballerina perform one last time before disappearing. And so one thing we didn't mention about Agua Caliente is that there were, and probably people um, kind of uh, figured this out after I mentioned Rita Hayworth, and she was a performer at the casino. They did have a lot of performers, like a lot of huge famous people came not just to visit, but to actually perform at Agua Caliente as well. Yeah, and that's crazy. 
he just decapitated her. Well, with a knife, too. Like, decapitating someone is not easy. Like, you really have to hate someone quite badly to decapitate them. And so that's pretty intense. Yeah. When he was the one that was cheating. But, yeah. So other versions talk about how she hid her jewels. So she had these jewels and money um, that he was trying to get from her. That she hid them in the minarete, uh, which is a tall, thin tower. Usually it's part of a mosque. Which can bring all sorts of new meanings to the story, too, which I thought were really interesting. So the minarete is in Tijuana. And it has this um, Arab kind of story behind it. Oh. Yeah. So the stories that we saw, the bailarina was of Spanish descent. Mm -hmm. And she was, in some of them, she was from Andalusia, which is like the southern part of Spain. It's heavily influenced by like, or it has a history of Arabic presence. So it makes sense that they would have the minarete Mm. in Tijuana. And that they would be connected to, like, a Spanish dancer. No, that makes sense. Yeah, because Spain... I mean, to me, Spain technically was just another Arab country up until a certain point. And so that's why Spanish has so many Arabic-based uh, words, like almohada, abeja. All those words are actually Arabic in nature. Yeah. Which is really... Really fascinating to me. It's not something I I realized until later um, in college when I was studying it. So the second version, this this one is from a brief piece on the San Diego Reader about a bar called La Faraona in Tijuana. So the article is from 2013, so I'm not sure if that bar is still open. Uh, You said you can find it, right? Yeah, I tried looking for it and I couldn't find it. Okay. So then it's probably not physically, but online. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't walking the streets of Tijuana looking for this bar. Uh, I would, uh, I would have been like, wow, that's why we're taking a month to make these. um, It's commitment. It's commitment. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So then, (laughs) but one of the versions they tell there, or at least the reporter was told that this um, bar was that La Farona uh, was a dancer that poisoned her lover and then herself after he wanted to leave her. So you said that you like that version the best. I right? love that version a lot. <laughs> Why? I don't know. There's something about poison that's just so fun. <laughs> I mean, I'd rather have that than um, her having being decapitated for no reason. Yeah. Like this, I'm like, she's taking charge. She's poisoning Whatever. him and herself. Like, she's taking charge of her life. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> you're right. I do. I, I'm I'm more in like of that version. Not in love, yeah. but in like. <laughs> well, it's also the perfect version for a bar, because I think they had drinks, like, named after her and stuff like that, which oh. is kind of cool. Oh, damn. I wish I could have gone to this bar now. Right? I need to go find it. So we should open our own murder bar. <laughs> gave me a weird look you're like what do you mean by that do you mean we should kill someone and then and then open a bar in their name like what what did you think i meant I, I yeah i was like are we gonna take orders are we gonna like take like hit orders instead of and just you know poison murder people? people there yeah no i meant like it was it would be themed after like i don't know ghost stories or something okay so that's i guess it. that makes more sense <laughs> 
So anyways, in the third version, in an interview with um, Uniradio Informa, Mario Ortiz Villacorta, the president of the Tijuana Historical Society, gives various versions, including the ones we've talked about. But another one is that the again, a dancer is used by a man who uses her position at Aqua Caliente to meet rich folks and get money from them. In some versions, she kills him. In others, he decapitates her. And that's how we get the headless dancer or bailarina sin cabeza. So that one makes more sense than the poison one because the poison one, poison isn't going to make you lose your head. Unless it's like acid or something that burns through you. <laughs> that burns through you that quickly? Jeez. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know why I want to make that one work so bad. Yeah, you really do. <laughs> really God. Do. It doesn't make any sense for the. How does she. Poison doesn't decapitate you. Maybe we don't know what poisons they had in the 1920s. <laughs> don't ruin this for me. Well, clearly they weren't alcohol based. That's true. Okay, so one of the possible sources for the legends, um, this one was really weird. There was this article that talked about Esperanza Lopez, and I think they talk about her Hmm. in the uh, documentary as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she was murdered. She was shot by her husband, who worked at the casino. He was a cashier there. His name was Rodrigo Prieto. Um, At the same point, at some point in the retelling of the story of Esperanza's murder, it became connected to La Faraona, or this idea of, like, the dancer murdered for her jewelry. Um, Oh. Yeah, which is really, I have no idea how those two stories would come together, or how they got mixed up. Yeah, that's weird. It's just probably, like, um, word of mouth. Yeah. It's like a game of telephone. Yeah, you go from a husband killed his wife to an exotic dancer or like a, a dancer from Spain getting decapitated for jewelry. Oh uh, yeah, you're right. That makes no sense. <laughs> I don't know how the hell you did you, how they kind of collided that way. Wow, I don't understand. <laughs> I have no idea, but um yeah, it was an interesting one that they brought up. And uh in the documentary that you mentioned too that they talked about um there was a mosaic of a faraona, too. So maybe that inspired some of the stories as well. Oh. So people saw that image and were just like, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. That might actually make sense. So then, so what is, um, so a faraona then is a, is a dancer? What is a faraona? Oh, a faraona is a dancer from Sevilla. Which is also in southern Spain. Oh, okay. I was trying to figure out, like, what is a faraona. I was like, I kind of figured that from the context clues, but I wasn't sure. It also means queen, like pharaoh. It's like feminine Oh, I didn't know that. Huh. It's a powerful figure. No wonder that bar was called La Faraona. I'm liking this bar more and more. Like, I really want this bar to exist now. It's this... Right? And and poison. poison. God. The poison bar. Anyways, let's go into the last section of our um, podcast of this episode. So sightings. So people who have seen her. Yes. So where can we see La Bailarina Sin Cabeza? So turns out uh, part of what used to be Casino Agua Caliente is, uh, did you say now, right? Is now the Lazaro Cardenas High yeah. School. So it is now a high school. Yep. 
But like we mentioned earlier, the casino actually became a school in 1938 when the president, Lazaro Cardenas, which is funny that they named the high school after this man, expro- uh, expropriated the premises. So he prohibited, prohibited casinos in Mexico. And so students say they have seen La Bailarina in the hallway of the school and around the Minarete. So she dances, but her feet don't touch the floor. So that's how you know it's her, is that she's floating a couple inches above the ground. Yeah. If you see someone dancing, you can't be sure until yes. you see her feet. And also, if she has a head or not. Okay. <laughs> yeah. If you want to see her head over to... Uh, oh, oh, really? You wrote this, didn't you? You wrote this. How dare you? How dare you make this pun? <laughs> My favorite part of that <laughs> is that I didn't even mean to. <laughs> but as you read it, it hit me, and then I was like, shit. <laughs> well, anyways, if you want to see her, head over to Lazaro Cardenas. <laughs> finger point, finger point, finger point, you know. Um, Lazaro Cardenas High School. Or the Minarete area of Tijuana, which still exists, right? The That portion also exists. Yeah, supposedly that's where the treasure is, too. Ooh, so go digging for some treasure. Also, so this is my favorite part, I think, of this story. My favorite, favorite, favorite part of this story. Because uh, it reminds me of so many other ghost stories. Also in the documentary, one of the bartenders says... Uh, so they interview a lot of really cool, like much older folks who used to work at, and I think this documentary was filmed in like 1992 or something. So the, the footage is yeah. really old. And so I'm pretty sure a lot of these people have passed on, but one of the bartenders, <laughs> what? <laughs> Why did you give me such a shocked <laughs> face? They're dead. They can't be alive. These people were like 80 when they, this documentary was filmed. People from 1920 can still be alive today. No, they can't. They're dead. No. Shit, you're right. Yeah, okay, they're dead. <laughs> Especially if they worked at Sorry. Agua Caliente in 1928, you know? So, no, there's no yeah. way. So, anyways, one of these bar- dead bartenders says that there isn't a ghost. Once the casino turned into a school, there were a few folks that would hang out there to drink and he called them uh, los borrachitos like the little the little drunkards yeah. would hang out at the school on the school premises and so a lot of the students what they would do is they would throw a sheet over their heads and go up to the the borrachitos the drunkards and scare them and that's where supposedly the legend of the bailarina sin cabeza came came from i think that's my that's my favorite legend like the poison one is cool but this one is my favorite one because it made me laugh so hard. And it's the story that I believe. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the pro- Like, it's your favorite one because that sounds like it's out. Yes. Yes. And it sounds like something you would do too. <laughs> Scare a bunch of drunkards? Hell yeah. I've done it. Yeah. I've definitely done it. So it is definitely something that I would do 100% still to this day. Mm-hmm. So it's just... It's the one story that I think makes the most sense. And even the and this comes from first person accounts. Like these are people who lived through this era and know and were in this area and worked at the casino and they were like, no, no, they shook their heads in that way where they're like, ah, 
no, 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 that story's not true. <laughs> you know, like, that's what they were saying. <laughs> Which actually reminds me of my dad. Like, my dad would be like, ah, yeah. nah, si no es, bah. you know, that's how he, he reacts to things. <laughs> that's the attitude. That's the, the, the mood that they were giving, you know. Yeah, they definitely were like, no, this yeah. is dumb. Yeah, they were really looking down on that yeah. story. Super, super hysterical. Yeah. So after all that, after all that, <laughs> after all that research, it turns out it was just a bunch of drunks. <laughs> I love that. And I, I really hope that there's no ghost there. I really hope that it was just some high school students playing a prank and some folks yeah. that were drinking. That, that makes, That's I just it. really like that story. That's why. Because it's so simple. It's yeah. so simple. Well, when I when you first shared it with me and I read it, I thought of the movie, the Tim Burton movie, Corpse Bride. Have yes, you watched it? Yes, I have it? seen that movie. Mm-hmm. I did a little bit of research, and it turns out that that story is loosely inspired by um, a Jewish folklore. Mm. Um, so there's this story called The Finger in the book uh, Lilith's Cave, Jewish Tales of the Supernatural by Howard mm-hmm. Schwartz. And um, it's about this guy, Ruben, who sees a finger sticking out from the ground and as a joke proposes to it. As, as you, you do. do. Why, would you, why would you do that? Well, I have no idea. So, <laughs> they weren't very entertained. I would never. I guess they didn't have TV. They didn't have other things to do. Yeah. They didn't have casino. Yeah, exactly. Day. They didn't have casinos. <laughs> so he placed the, the wedding ring on it. Uh, and he was carrying around a wedding ring because he was supposed to get married like the next day or two days later or some shit. He wasn't just carrying oh, it around. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> it turns out after he does this, the, the finger belongs to a woman who was a bride and she comes back and she claims that now they're married. So uh, <clears throat> it's up to a few rabbis to convince her that she's actually dead and they're not married. Oh. So it's not quite the same legend, but it's it's a little bit similar to it a little bit. Or at least it reminded yeah. you of it. Yeah, there's a lot in that story. There is a lot in that story. Apparent but not not but no ghosts. No ghosts though. <laughs> there's a lot of history, there's a lot of different connections, there's a lot of different cultures in that story, but no ghosts. It is a ghost free story, just the way I like it. More history based. <laughs> I'm so mad right now. Uh, But anyways, that basically concludes this episode. I don't know what we're going to be talking about or researching next time. Hopefully it'll be something exciting too. I don't know. It'll be actual. We haven't really thought about it. But we're we're hopefully, I really want to tackle something in Central America. So we should probably head um, more Southern, more into... Because a lot of what we've tackled is a lot of Mexican legends, which no, you know, it's been fun. But I do want to t- kind of tackle different parts of the of the Americas as well. So, or of South America. So thank you all, everyone, for listening. Please leave a review. It really helps us spread the word about the show. So if you really, really want to support us, please leave a review. And let us know if you think of any monsters, creatures, or legends that you want us to cover. Let us know. Also subscribe. Um, you can also follow us on social media. You can follow us at Trib Twitter, at Monstras Podcast. Uh, we also have a Facebook group that you can definitely join. 
we'll, we're trying to update it as much as possible I'm along not. with the Twitter uh, <laughs> social media stuff. So we're just not that great at it sometimes. So have a good day. Don't get uh, decapitated. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>